Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Prom party. Hello. How are we doing? I need to stop asking you questions as if I can hear your response. You've been teaching on Zoom and like I think that conditioned you for how to interact with people yeah. for the last year. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I mean, when every day is, hello, friends. Hi, how are we doing today? So yeah, I guess uh, I guess you're all my students now. You're all my little babies. I mean, you teach me things every Aww. day. In the way of love and stuff. (laughs) Well, friends, this is our Valentine's Day episode, and we thought what better way to celebrate Valentine's Day than to talk about love and affection and passion and having crushes and dying of terminal illnesses. Yeah, we, yeah. (laughs) Before we dive into that, again, stealing a page from our friends over at the Why Did We Ever Meet podcast, we're going to do our business in the front so we can party in the butt. Yeah, that's right, party in the butt. That is a Wes and Ashley Allen original. We are shamelessly stealing it from them, but they are also our family, so I don't feel really guilty about it. It's fucking funny, so we're (laughs) we're stealing it. (laughs) So to get that business in the front out of the way... Uh, we have a Patreon. You can support us at patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. We have tiers that start as low as $1. There's extra episodes. There's commentary tracks. There's playlists. There's polls. There's AMAs. There's a whole bunch of nonsense over there. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. So, you know, get over there. Help us uh, keep the lights on, so to speak, and be able to, you know, keep doing this. And we actually put a, uh, a thing up on Twitter saying, hey, what would you like more of on the Patreon? Because we don't know what you want unless you tell us. Otherwise, we're just going, we're going to do some stuff. So, (laughs) you know, we just put that up. If you want to go ahead and drop suggestions, by all means, feel free. Yeah, absolutely. And, And, you know, if Patreon is not something that is financially something that you're able to do right now, we get it, you know, pandemic shit's hard things things are are tough times things are tough times this is tough times daddy uh you know you can always just go on apple podcasts or wherever it is that you are listening to us and give us a review and you know that five-star review it really helps um it does also offset the random one-star reviews that we've gotten from a bunch of bigoted fuck faces so help uh help us smush them 
by giving us a five star or a review. It also helps uh, with the algorithm to get us in more ears, help expand the show a little bit. Uh, We would really, really appreciate it and be very, very happy and touched if you would do such a kind thing. I mean, that that sounds like love and it is Valentine's Day episode. Yeah, be be our (laughs) Valentine and, and show us that love. I mean, we love you so much that, boy, howdy, does our new apartment have such better acoustics than <laughs> yeah, the we, old one. Uh, we intentionally moved entirely across the country into a new apartment in Los Angeles, California, specifically because it had better acoustics and we wanted the show to sound better. That is 100% why we moved. So you're welcome. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a real stark contrast from the uh, slightly kerfuffled House Bunny episode. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to just be so fucking velvety. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, you're going to be listening and be like, oh, damn, okay. I mean, and we're doing this in sunshine, too, which is really nice. So my mood's a lot happier because I'm not being impacted by seasonal effectiveness disorder. You're, you're getting so, that vitamin A. I'm getting, I'm getting that vitamin A, vitamin D. It's it's just it's just good. Everything everything is good. And uh, And speaking of good question mark uh let's talk about today's movie uh today we're talking about (laughs) the fault in our stars so before we dive into what this movie is about harmony what was your knowledge exposure anything to the fault in our stars well the fun fact of it was that doing this movie was actually my idea yeah, yeah, it was. Because <laughs> last year we watched Spontaneous, and um, we were basically having a conversation about, like, the tragedies of teen youth and, mm-hmm. like, this weird obsession with it that people have. And I, I guess we'll go into that more later once we actually right. get into the discussion. But, uh, yeah, this was my dumb idea. And I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I've known quite a few people in my life who um, will say they're very basic Okay. <laughs> and uh, they uh, they were big fans of this movie. And so I assumed it was terrible based on the fact that everything else they loved was terrible. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize quite how much I knew about this movie. Okay. Like, it's just like, oh, the always thing? That's that's them making fun of another couple? The, the okay thing? That's... Uh, that's their thing making fun of the other couple boom claps from this soundtrack like there's a lot of little things where i'm like oh wait this what <laughs> okay you just absorbed a lot of this movie without ever having seen it just because of how much it permeated through the cultural landscape basically yeah <laughs> so my relationship with this movie is obviously a lot different and we will absolutely be getting into that but beforehand let's go over to our friends at fandango our friend dangos and let's go over the synopsis hazel and gus are two extraordinary teenagers who share an acerbic wit a disdain for the conventional and a love that sweeps them and us on an unforgettable journey their relationship is all the more miraculous given that they met and fell in love (gasps) At a cancer support group. The Faults in Our Stars, based on the number one best-selling novel by John Green, explores the funny, thrilling, and tragic business of being alive and falling in love. I mean, it does all of 
those things, I guess. Yeah, well, the fact that they open it with Hazel and Gus are extraordinary. Go fuck yourself. Calm down. I mean, Gus seems like a pretty upstanding, cool guy. They're they're cool kids. He's, he's an extremely <laughs> charming teenager. Yeah, that's very true. He's like almost insufferably charming in a way. Yeah. But yeah, I feel the synopsis is fine. It definitely reads to me like somebody trying absolutely trying to sell you on this movie. So in that regard, good job. I mean, it sounds a lot like the synopsis from the back of a novel. Yeah, so I guess that works. Yeah, like that that's what this snippet sounds like. Yeah, I, I agree. So let's let's start out with our first character. You're not you're not gonna tell people about your experience with the movie? Uh nope, because I'll go on a tangent that gonna, we won't get back from, so we just, can't go just, there yet. We're gonna dog ear that part we're of the gonna, book and yeah, come back gonna, to it. Uh lick my finger and uh press save real quick. <laughs> okay. Um we'll we'll get back there because it's gonna be a doozy. Um so let's talk about Hazel Grace. Hazel Grace Lancaster. Um, I'm Hazel. A thyroid originally, but now with quite the impressive satellite colony in my lungs. And, and, and how are you doing? Uh, you mean besides the terminal cancer? All right, I guess. So we went into this movie, uh, neither one of us was in a good mood because... Mm-hmm. We we spent a week like living in boxes, and our apartment was like in disarray, slowly getting put together. I had some very stressful, lab- like emotionally intensive writing assignments that I was working on for various places. Mm-hmm. And you had you know plenty of uh, your other stuff just going on. It was mm-hmm. we sat down to watch this movie just in a foul mood, <laughs> <laughs> and this movie opens up with her basically. Doing her best, like, Olive Pendergast, just being like, well, I could tell you that it's, like, perfect and magical, like, in the teen movies, and everything's set to a Peter Gabriel song. I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) How fucking dare you? And you're like, don't go into this movie with a bad opinion out the gate. You're supposed to be open-minded. I'm like, no, but I'm mad already. (laughs) And that's, the first half of this movie felt so much like it was trying to be other teen movies, where it's like, "Mm, this glockenspiel and acoustic guitar soundtrack is very similar to, like, Juno, as an example. Yeah. They're just as snarky as like a Juno or an Olive, and I'm like, I don't, I don't like how you're like playing with my emotions by uh, just writing in character things about like female characters from teen movies that I like more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like you're emotionally manipulating me, movie. Yeah, it's like if you liked Easy A and Juno, what if we added dying? <laughs> so, a walk to remember. I'll fucking get there. Nicholas Sparks is my nemesis. <laughs> this feels very Nicholas Sparksy. Yeah. This this is Nicholas Sparks for like teens. Yeah, this is Nicholas Sparks for like cynical teens. Like that's that's what's happening here. And obviously that honestly that is very dismissive. Um we'll talk a little bit about just John Green as a whole later. But yeah, Hazel to me is one of one of those characters that people related to so well because she quote unquote, is not like most girls. Like she's, yeah, she's really, dying. Well, yeah, because she's dying. But she's really snarky. And I have mixed feelings about it because on one hand, I love when movies are unafraid to show that teenagers, one, are smart, mm-hmm. and two, that they have clever personalities because all of my friends were like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my students are like that, mm-hmm. where they're like 12 to 14 years old. 
and saying some of the funniest shit that I've ever heard because they're just clever. Yeah. And a lot of times movies don't allow kids to have those personalities. They're like, no, you don't know who you are yet. Therefore, we're going to make you an archetype. So I'm glad that Hazel isn't fully doing doing that. I mean, she's kind of the pretentious teen archetype. Yeah, she, she, but that's the thing is like she, she then also falls into that pretentious teen archetype. But at the same time, I can excuse that because when you are dealing with some form of like terminal illness or tragedy or something that you have to live with, a lot of times a coping mechanism that comes out of that is having this very like bleak and dry sense of humor. Which I appreciate. Yeah, which I appreciate. Like, so I, it completely I, tracks that this is how she would act and how she would talk. Yeah, I mean, I understand that most of her cynicism comes from the fact that she's basically been dying for like the last eight years. Right. So she has a, uh, a very, well, we'll say a, uh, a unique perspective on most topics. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but read this character based on the interpretation of this character from people I've known. Yes. Because she's very she's very plain. She's like kind of confident in like how smart she is, but otherwise she's kind of quiet, kind of shy, kind of innocuous. Mm-hmm. But she's like really really funny and dry and cynical. So there was an interview that John Green and Shailene Woodley and a couple of the other actors did with Bustle after the, like when the movie was doing promo. So it hadn't even come out yet because there was already a lot of criticism about the dialogue that John Green had written. Similar, like very similar complaints to like the ones that Diablo Cody gets tacked with, but obviously not to that extent because John Green's a man. So ultimately he's not going to get hit with as much criticism because the world is bullshit. Well, also nobody writes dialogue like Diablo Cody. Yeah, also true. She she is speaking her own language. Um, but Shailene Woodley, uh, who plays Hazel, said that Hazel's sophistication comes from her not thinking she's special in any way, shape, or form. I'm inspired by her ability to recognize the faults in the world and to see the wrong in them, but not feel like it's her job to correct them. Those are important lessons for all of us to learn. And I agree with that. Like, Hazel definitely is that person... Who's like, hey, this is fucked up and shit's fucked, but I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to point out that it's fucked and yeah, there it is. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah. Which I, I, to some extent, I'm also like, that's very white feminism of you, of being like, everything's broken. We must fix everything. But I'm not going to. That's too big of a job for me. Okay, bye. Well, I awkwardly like scratch the back of my head and say like, well, I mean, this is a very white movie. Is an extremely white movie. Is there anyone in this movie that's not white? Maybe someone in the cancer group who's a background character. Yeah, I was maybe like, I'm sitting here like really trying to think, and that's, yeah. So if I have to think that hard, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's her fault that it's white feminism. It's it's all she happens to be in a white movie. Yeah. Oh, some of her like doctors and people. Okay, Are people sure. of color. Okay, well, nobody's substantial. I feel like if I went to the IMDb right now, I have to scroll down probably 15 characters to get to someone who isn't, and this movie only has like six characters. <laughs> yeah, good, good point. Um, so to, to counterbalance Hazel Grace Lancaster, how do you feel about uh, Augustus Waters? Also, John Green, like how do you come up with these names? Like all of the names of his characters in books have these like, I don't know, they're not quite as like this is a metaphorical name as some other authors, but like Augustus Waters, 
I don't, I don't know. Anyway, continue. Uh, how do you feel about Augustus or Gus? I don't, first of all, I'm, we're, we're going to talk about names right now. I don't think that it's really fair to criticize the names in this one when there's this like book to movie pipeline where everyone has a fucking ridiculous name. Yeah, like Hunger Games is excluded because all of their names are supposed to be ridiculous. But yeah, most Fifty Shades or yeah, okay, yeah, they all or all all of them names. have these ridiculously <laughs> fucking weird names. And also, like, the, if you want to talk about a really white movie, they're going to give them really white people names, <laughs> like Augustus, like everyone and the, Hazel uh, Grace. It makes me think of the uh, the running meme of. Trans men names all sound like drowned Victorian children. Yes. Augustus Waters is legitimately a drowned Victorian child name. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so f- so fun fact about Mr. Augustus Waters. Uh, I didn't recognize this actor. And you went, that's Baby Driver. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, for what it's worth, like Baby Driver, he, he Baby looks like the most generic man possible. He's like the most like kind of tall, skinny, plain boy, and uh, Augustus mm-hmm. is also that. Mm-hmm. So I could I could not pick what is it Ansel Elgort? Yeah, Ansel Elgort. Yeah, I, I could not pick him out of a crowd of other men. I'm just like you. Which one of you is famous? I don't I don't know. <laughs> you are you are the most every man boy I have ever seen. <laughs> every man boy. <laughs> yes. So he's he's fine. He's terminally positive. Yeah, there's I mean, I guess a, pardon my expression, but yeah, the de- there's a description that the drag queen Benda Lacreme uses of being terminally delightful, and I feel like Gus is like terminally charming. Yeah, the way I described it when we were watching it, which like eventually he stops being so uh, plucky, and I guess we'll get to that when we talk about thing mm-hmm. theming a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But so much of him feels like he's reciting dialogue because. He has a snappy little quip and a response to everything because he's so positive and so clever and so charming. And the comparison I made was, hey, BJ, remember Bridge to Terabithia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you were like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, remember the one girl who was just like, no, we're hunting ogres and we must cross the stream to get to Terabithia and everything is whimsical and magic and oh, look at the sun beaming onto my face. <laughs> That's kind of what Augustus feels like as far as his vibe. <laughs> Hazel Grace, they don't actually hurt you unless you light them. Hmm? I never lit one. It's a metaphor, see? You put the thing that does the killing right between your teeth, but you never give it the power to kill you. A metaphor. So in that same interview, John Green was talking about, like, the dialogue between the two of them, and I think the main criticism comes from Augustus. And he said, I don't think adults give teenagers enough credit as intellectually engaged people. The way teens approach big, important, interesting questions is more interesting than how adults do because they tend to ask them without fear or embarrassment. They're willing to ask why suffering exists or what's the meaning of life. Adults ask those questions under 72 layers of irony for fear of appearing unsophisticated. I guess, but I'm just saying that like all of his dialogue feels snappy and written. Yes, so, I, I agree with you. So yes, John Green, that is a good explanation for the kind of dialogue you're writing, but your dialogue feels like writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of those instances where I feel like Gus on the page works a lot better than Gus on screen, because on, on the page, it's like, okay, well, this is helping me create a character in my mind. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I'm watching it and it's being presented to me, 
it feels like you're not a real person. Like that's not <laughs> that's not real. <laughs> yes, exactly. But all of that aside, I don't know how I like him because mm-hmm. sure, okay, he's a he's a sports star before he lost his leg mm-hmm. to cancer. He was like wildly accomplished and had a million trophies that get swiftly shattered. <laughs> later yeah i have mixed feelings about that scene but for the most part i like it but anyway continue yeah so he is charming and he's handsome i guess in in a very plain way Mm -hmm. and he was athletic and it just had everything going for him but i don't know he's a little boring because of that he he probably would go on to join the military i feel like (laughs) because he's he's a little too like hyped about like the patriotism of his favorite book mm-hmm. for like a single scene. And I'm like, yeah, you're every like sports star, like every, every jock who's not going to go to college or whatever. You're going to you're gonna go join the military. And there's, there's this underlying thing of like, I don't think I like you, Gus. There's something very weird that I feel about Gus in that him getting sick did, I think like wonders for his personality. Oh yeah. Because I think about like, had he not, gotten sick and stayed on that track, I think I would have fucking hated him. Yeah, probably. I feel like that he would be like a shitty guy in high school who all he cared about was sports and being clever and, you know, had nothing in his life to he humble him. He had to be him. King Dick. Yeah. Yeah. I Instead, feel... now he lost his leg and he's like, oh, well, I mean, the circle of virgins doesn't include funny boys with one leg or whatever. Right. I'm like, um. So, yeah, that's why I, f- I feel a little weird about Gus because ultimately his circumstances do genuinely impact who he is as an individual and how he exists in the world as all of our lived experiences do. But it's also very telling to me that it took like getting cancer and losing his leg to like become this person that doesn't totally suck. I don't know. Um, How about them as a couple though? How do you feel about them as a couple? They're fine. Yeah, you don't feel like inspired by their love. No, I don't. I don't either. <laughs> I, and again, it feels like a Nicholas Sparks love. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're so young and all this stuff, it's like, oh, are they in love? Yeah, probably. But are they soulmates? I don't know. You're young. Who knows? It feels like there's this thing of like they were meant to be and they improved each other's lives and all mm-hmm. everything is perfect. But damn that disease that that struck them both that inevitably ended up helping them meet each other. I. I don't know. I don't buy into this romance any more than I do, like, The Notebook. Mm -hmm. So, eh. One of the things that rattles around in my brain whenever I think about The Notebook is, okay, we're going to, like, start tiptoeing into this this world a little bit. So, listeners out there, for those who do not know, um, I am a pancreatic cancer survivor. And if you don't know much about pancreatic cancer, um, it has killed many of your favorite celebrities like Steve Jobs and Alex Trebek and Gunnar Hansen and Patrick Swayze and uh, countless others. You have a one degree separation from Mr. Swayze. I do. One of my surgeons worked on Patrick Swayze, so I can always tell people that the same hands that have been inside me have been inside Swayze, which is fun. And I'm very fortunate that I had a better outcome than he did. (sighs) Yeah. But... uh, Having cancer is really fucked up. And the thing with pancreatic cancer is when I was diagnosed, I was 22, 23. And um, I was given a 4% chance to live. 
I'm just going to let that like simmer there for a second. Beat the spread. Like there was a 96% chance that I was going to die. So I spent about five years of my life pretty much living every day thinking like tomorrow's going to be the day that I die. Got mm-hmm. it. Cool. That's That's where we're headed. And if there's one thing that I was so desperate for than anything in the world, it's to have found somebody who could understand what I was going through. And pancreatic cancer is a cancer that has a really low probability of being detected early because it's, for the most part, kind of symptomless. Mine was only found because I went to the emergency room for something completely unrelated And in the process of them trying to figure out what was going on and doing scans, they were like, well, we don't know why you have acid reflux today, but we did find a lump on, you know, your organs. So, you know, never, never a good sign. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would join all of these different support groups and I would join ones for pancreatic cancer support and everybody was like. 40 years older than I am. Mm-hmm. So it's people who are like, I don't know what I'm going to do leaving my children behind. And I'm like, I don't get to have children now. That's an experience I will never get to have because my eggs are now radioactive. Great. Mm-hmm. Or people that were like, I don't know what I'm going to, you know, I, I've lived this long life and I'm not going to be able to see people grow up. And it's like, I haven't even started my life. I can't even legally rent a car. And that sucked. So then I would join these like young adult and teen cancer support groups. And it was people who were like, I had leukemia, but now I'm good. Or I have this other type of cancer and I have a really high probability of survival. There really wasn't anyone else that was dealing with something as awful. Because here's the other thing too. All cancers are bad. All of them are bad. Some of them are not as bad as others. And I wish that we would stop acting like... Like, some of them weren't. Mm -hmm. Um, Some are uh, quite a bit more lethal than others. Yes. Um, So I was, you know, operating under the fact that, like, I was like, oh, I'm terminal. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to survive this. And the fact that I did is a fucking medical miracle. And I donated my tissues, my tumors, my organs, and my nodes to science. So hopefully we can, you know, figure something out. But there was one person that I found online who was 35 and had pancreatic cancer. So this is still somebody who at the time was over 10 years older than me. They were married. They had a kid. But they were at least young enough to where it was like, okay, you kind of get this. And we had nothing in common. We were completely different politically. But we forged like a very real friendship based on this no one else understands this like Mm -hmm. no one gets this so when i look at hazel and gus the question that i always have is how much of this is genuine and sincere and how much of this is you are the only person who fucking gets this because that is a very very real thing to bring people together over yeah i mean they don't have like the same type of cancer you know in this case of like you and Mm-hmm. your person that you met but this whole support group that hazel's getting forced to go through in the literal heart of jesus mm-hmm. boy everybody there just has a uh an answer for everything and it's not the answer either of them want mm-hmm. and mike berbiglia is doing all of the wrong things <laughs> which like he is so good at just being like that insufferable type of character 
Like, he is astoundingly good at being unlikable as, like, the plucky know-it-all kind of dude you don't want to meet. Yeah. No, I uh, <laughs> I agree completely. Like, and I love that they explained to him that, like, he had cancer and then did it. And now this is, like, what he dedicates his life to because he lost everything in that process. Because I also know those people, too. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, no, this tracks. This, this tracks a lot. But, yeah, um, this whole support group feels like it's like Alcoholics Anonymous. It just feels like, hey, the answer to your problems is to accept that you can't control it and also Jesus. Yeah. That's uh there's definitely a lot of support groups that are like that. And I usually did not last at those because they can't are imagine. awful. <laughs> I and wouldn't I'm like, have either. No, I can't I can't get with this. Like I, I'm very much in the uh the Rue Bennett euphoria school of uh why we should stop saying that you know god gave you this for a reason or you know you're you're still around because you're meant to do something important because that's bullshit mm-hmm. uh I'm, I'm very much in that camp but as far as as far as gus and hazel i view them the same way that i view most teen relationships of like this is cute i'm glad you found each other i'm glad that the this point in your life you have each other to make each other feel good that's great but I also am looking at all of the differing factors that have drawn you together. Um, and a lot of them are questionable. But you know what? You're fucking dying and you deserve to have some semblance of joy and, and hope in the world. And if you find that in each other, then who am, I, who am I to complain? Fucking be happy. Go to Amsterdam. Do whatever you need to do. Read books. I don't give a shit. Just like live your life because you ain't got much time left and if if you're happy you're happy Eh. but i'm not gonna like watch this and be like i'm so inspired and if they can do it then i could do it too like i'm not gonna go there no i I absolutely agree my school of thought on relationships has always sort of been like statistically almost all relationships fail you will go through many failures of relationships until one doesn't and then eventually someone dies, and then it ends. Yeah. And I, that applies whether you're 85 or 18, and maybe I'm just a, a, a cynic <laughs> for that. But when you're a teen, like, yeah, of course, like, the person you lose your virginity to, your first real romance, it's going to be a big fuck deal, and it's going to feel like your soulmates and you're perfect, mm-hmm. especially if you're obsessed with a book and this is the only other person who understands the book like you do. Right. Yeah. I mean, those those sorts of connectors are very, very powerful. And I also think that those are reasons that like keep people together even when they're not supposed to. I mean, I've like tiptoed around this a little bit on the show before, but you know what? This is the episode to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the person that I was with when I was sick was somebody that I probably should not have been with um, for as long as I was. For a multitude of reasons, um, including, you know, my own sexuality. But I stayed with this person for years after. And a major part of that was, well, they took care of me when I was sick. And It was obligation? Yes. It's like this weird guilt obligation that you have of like, well, they're the only person who understands what this experience was like because they were there for me. And I don't want to lose that because... I mean, you and I got together the year that I got my, like, 100% clearance. Yeah. See, that's the thing here is, like, yes, I'm very aware 
that you had cancer. Mm-hmm. I touch your uh, your stomach scar every day. Mm-hmm. And then you go, I can't feel that. Yeah, because <laughs> all the nerve endings have been destroyed. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm very aware that you had cancer, mm-hmm. but it's not like something tangible because you went into remission like shortly after we got together, basically. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have the firsthand experience of that with you. Mm-hmm. I'm more so just getting the residual things like my ovaries are destroyed and... I have plane stationing. Yeah. I think we've explained what that is on the show, but if we haven't, or if this is your first episode, uh, plane stationing is because I've taken so much radiation um, and so many, you know, cocktails of medication that I have brain damage. And sometimes I forget words, like very basic words, and I will try to use context clues to express what I'm trying to say. So for example, we were driving on the road and there were airplanes flying above head. My mom was like, huh, there's a lot of planes going here. And I was like, yeah, we're really close to the uh, the plane station because I forgot the word for airport. Well, that's the thing is plane station is a better word for airport anyway. Yeah, because it also sounds like train station. So it makes way more fucking sense. Well, I mean, I understand the point of airport is like, ah, it's a port like boats. They're Mm skyboats. But it's like, no, they're they're meeting up here like it's a train. So plane station works better. Yes, I agree. (laughs) That's just me. But yeah, you know, I was with this person for a very long period of time. And you know, this is also a person that I have zero contact with and will continue to have zero contact with. Mm-hmm. And I would be lying if I said that it didn't kind of hurt a little bit knowing that the one person in the world who f- like genuinely and fully understands what that experience was like is somebody that I have no connection to anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, it's a very weird thing to process. Well, you don't have, I guess, that camaraderie yeah. in that a way where it's just like oh no you you get it you were there yeah like it's it's just it's very strange and because the only other person in my life I'm like oh you would understand this is my friend Amanda because my friend Amanda also had cancer but unfortunately she she passed from it so like the two people that like really get it like really really get it one is somebody who's an absolute garbage human piece of shit that I will never talk to again. And one is dead. And mm-hmm. that fucking sucks. So, yeah, I understand why Hazel and Gus would be like, nope, you and me, end of the earth. Because it is so hard to explain to people what it feels like to wake up every day with an asterisk of like, I woke up today, but I might not wake up tomorrow. That shit is awful. It is fucking awful. Which is... Okay, this is going to be a weird connection. Like, I totally understand what you're saying. But the weird connection I get is, you ever work customer service Mm -hmm. and you're just like, oh, hi, how are you today? And you will get someone who's like a father time type. And just like, (laughs) any day I wake up is a good day to me. Yes. (laughs) It's like that, but not cute and old man-ish. Yeah, it's not cute and endearing of like, any day above ground's a good day. (laughs) Yeah, it's not not quite as charming. (laughs) No, it's just like you wake up and you're like, ah, yes, I'm awake today. Well, hope this returns tomorrow. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Or like the fact that, I mean, we're in a pandemic right now, and I am so afraid not of like, co- like, yes, I am afraid of COVID because I don't have a spleen anymore. So I don't have an immune system, mm-hmm. which is, you know, terrifying. Um, but the thing I'm afraid of the most is something happening with my body 
and having to go to a hospital and there's no availability for me Mm -hmm. because the only reason that I survived cancer was because I magically found it when I did. Like when they took everything out of my out of my system and did like testing or whatever they were like oh yeah no we caught this like as it was spreading to your other organs had you sat for six months or whatever it would have spread to the rest of your body and you would die like Mm -hmm. that is how close it was and that is so fucking scary to me because now i'm like oh if i have like a weird pain and i can't go to the doctor because we're in a pandemic and all the beds are full because people don't wear fucking masks because they're goddamn morons um I'll probably die. And yeah. that's really like, that's so scary. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that is something that your family doesn't fuck around with. No. Cause my dad also had cancer at the same time as me because you know, that's just how life works. And my dad kind of gets it. I, I'll say that my dad kind of gets it, but my dad had kidney cancer and it was very much like he gave up his kidney and then he was, he was pretty much fine afterwards. So he understands. Now he can't take ibuprofen and he's now grumpy he can't about take it. Ibuprofen. He's real mad about it. Um, But when he was diagnosed, it was the first visit that I had went home after starting treatment and I had been cleared to go after surgery. And my dad had been like complaining about a pain or whatever. And I like yelled at him and I was like, go to the fucking emergency room. I had acid reflux and it was pancreatic cancer. If you have a pain, go to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. So he went and my mom was texting me. Like, oh, we're waiting for blood work. Oh, we're waiting for the scan. Oh, we're waiting for this. And then she stopped texting me. And that's when I knew. I was like, my dad has cancer. Because she's not going to tell me that over, you know, a text message. So my parents get home. My mom walks in the door and just starts crying. So she and my sister leave the room and start crying. And my dad just sits down next to me. And I was like, so where is it? And he's like, it's my kidney. I have kidney cancer. And I was just like, well, I had a 4% chance to live. Some people give up their kidneys voluntarily. And I like patted him on the back and I was like, you'll be fine. Get on my level. You're, and just, You're that James Franco mean of first time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened. And my dad was very thankful. He's like, I'm very glad that you have this like fucked up sense of humor, which again, which is why I understand like Gus and Hazel being the way that they are. And like, I really can't give them shit for it. Cause it's like, yeah, no, I was the same way. Uh-huh. Like I don't do it as much with you. But I definitely, for a brief period of time, like people would be like, hey, go take the trash out. And I'd be like, I can't. I had a cancer because it's funny just to be a dickhead about it. No, I made you take the trash out last I know. Week. You did. And then you made me because like, I can't lift this one. Well, I couldn't. It was too heavy. <laughs> that meant we should have taken the trash out sooner. Yeah, we should have. But it's, we've been moving. It's been, it's been a lot of stuff We have, to we do. have a lot of trash. We have a lot of trash. <laughs> um uh, yeah, so that's that's something that I, I kind of have to deal with with this movie is just this idea of so many people romanticize the two of them and their love. And I don't deny that that love isn't rooted in something that's very real, but I think that realness might be more so of like a shared experience. It's trauma bonding is is what it is. Yeah. So on the subject of trauma bonding um i want to talk about sick lit do you know what sick lit is i'm assuming that that's short for sick literature and not like sick but like (laughs) disease sick like illness yes so sick lit was a massive thing in young adult literature for um the like the 2010s and even into into now. So 
back in 2017, I wrote an article for Birth Movies Death about um, trying to understand misery porn <laughs> from your friendly neighborhood dying girl. Because again, mm-hmm. at the time, I thought I was dying. I mean, and, you were. And I mean, then, I was. And then you stopped dying. <laughs> yeah. And then my body was just like, hey, no. Um, but at the time that I had written the article, there were over 85 different young adult novels um, that were about like teens with cancer. Were they riding the Fault in Our Stars train or? Uh, m- more so, I think, Nicholas Sparks. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So there were there were 87 young adult fiction books about cancer because if the Fault in Our Stars got anything right, it's that audiences are huge fans of crying about dying teens that find love in hopeless places. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do the douchiest thing possible and I'm going to read a couple excerpts from this article because I mean, they're your thoughts. They're my thoughts. They're compiled for you already. (laughs) So I get it. I do. Cancer is foreign to most young people. So it's easy to replace illness with any other negative feeling they may be experiencing and find inspiration that they too can find love. There was a BuzzFeed list of the Fault in Our Stars tattoos that threw me into a fit of rage until I reminded myself that people are going to find comfort in whatever ways that they can, and that every single person is at war with something, and it's not my job to tell them the acceptable way to fight it. Sure, some of the obsessive fans of this movie may not have cancer or love someone who does, but perhaps they find a sense of repose in the story because it doesn't hit too close to home. The booklets and the websites always list depression as a side effect of cancer. Depression is not a side effect of cancer. It's a side effect of dying. So here's where I get a little conflicted with with sick lit or misery porn. One, I hate the idea of people profiting off of illnesses and like romanticizing illnesses when we, especially in America, we don't have universal health care. And there are so many people, myself included, who can't fucking afford to pay their medical bills. Uh, but like Hot Topic can sell shirts that say, okay, okay, and make like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. That shit bothers the hell out of me. Just got to fucking put that shit on Etsy. Yeah. Should have should have been on that in 2014. Yeah. Beat Hot Topic to the punch so they could steal your designs because <laughs> they do that. <laughs> yeah. Like that shit drives me a little crazy. Um, but at the same time, I also think about like, well, what what is my favorite movie genre? Horror. Horror. Yes, I love horror. Yes. And one of the main reasons that I love horror is because it allows me to navigate a lot of like really negative emotions from a safe distance because it's fiction, because it's it's not real. But <laughs> there are some horror movies that um, th- those are things that have happened to people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, serial killers are real. That's a real thing. Yeah. And what are slasher A lot movies? of these are based on real things. Once you get a, once you cross that threshold, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, no, this is based on real events. Mm-hmm. It's like, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ed Gein was a real person who really did that to people. Well, I mean, he didn't murder anyone. He was a grave robber. Yes. But like did w- weird shit with people's yes. you know, skin and whatever. Yes. So it's like, okay. Based on a true story, yeah, not a real story. Right. Um, and it's like, but I, I love that movie because I can navigate a lot of like weird feelings of like otherness and, you know, whatever. I can I can deal with that. But that's still somebody else's real story. Like somebody's fucking like dead grandma was unearthed and turned into a lampshade. Like that sucks. Mm-hmm. Does my enjoyment of that like is that offensive to that person? Like, am I being disrespectful to that person or to to that family? I would say no, 
But at the same time, it's also not my place. Mm -hmm. So when there are teens that are finding some sort of solace in this movie or this movie is helping them navigate those those fears they may have about mortality or of dying alone or any of these like big issues. If they're using a movie like the fault in our stars to get there, I, I really can't hold it against them because it's the same shit that I do with horror. The difference is just that cancer is so much more real, I guess. And so more, so much more prominent. Are you saying that the fault in our stars and cancer is more real than like, the Hunger Games? Uh, okay, so, no, that's a, actually a really, really good point. Because then, like, you think about something like the Hunger Games, and it's like, yeah, no, this is just, like, the elite pitting the impoverished and the marginalized against each other be- so that nobody, like, looks at them to realize that they're doing all the corruption. But it's like a game show. But it's like a game show, but, like, that's fucking life. Like, that's that's reality television. That's cops. Like, that's mm-hmm. what's fucking happening. That, that's um, repo games. Yes, thank you. Um, so it's just one of those things where it's like, Ugh, I'm being kind of hypocritical, but at the same time, I'm mad because it's personally, like, impacting me, which I guess, yeah, that's some peak white feminism on my own part. Um, but it's, it's, just, it's complicated, you know? It's really, really complicated because I recognize – I, I highly doubt that kids are like, I hope that I get cancer and find someone else with cancer and then we die together. Like, I don't think they're going that far. I think it's just because cancer feels so big for so many people. And like, it's this thing that you know about and you know exists, but until you really experience it, like you fully don't get it. Mm-hmm. I also think that our culture, um, we present cancer in very specific ways. And a lot of that, I can blame on the Susan G. Komen Foundation and everything <laughs> with pink ribbons. My um, mom has a lot of pink ribbons. I know. She she, uh, she used to work in mammography now. Or no, she used to do x-rays. Now she primarily works in mammography. Yeah. So here's here's the little pro tip that I'm going to – I'm going to spill some tea for, for all of you out here. And I'm no, also, not my tea. <laughs> I'm also going to acknowledge that this is an episode where I'm doing a lot of fucking talking and I'm I mean, sorry. this is your thing. It's fine. It was your idea to do this movie and I was like, if you're okay with me, get on a lot of soapboxes because that's what we're going to be. That's this is cool. a goddamn laundromat without the amount of soapboxes in here. It's cool. Okay. I don't care. Like you wanna you wanna go off? Go off, Queen. <laughs> so here's here's a fun thing that I'm gonna educate you all on. When it comes to things like, you know, pink ribbons in October or even like, you know, relay for life type fundraisers and whatever. A thing that we see the most of are people who have either overcome what's going on. Like they're in remission uh, or people who are still conventionally attractive with with a shaved head. Mm-hmm. And the reason that that happens is because people are more likely to give money if there is a chance of survival. So while breast cancer, yes, is very deadly and can absolutely kill people and does. There are also a lot of stages of breast cancer that are survivable. Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies are willing to give a lot of money to breast cancer awareness because they can say, we donated X amount of dollars this year and this many people, you know, were helped by it. And there were this many like survival cases uh, in remission this year. How great. And they get to feel good about it. 
big companies and corporations don't want to give money to things like pancreatic cancer because the likelihood is that the people that they are giving that money to are not going to survive. So they're not getting a return on that investment. Mm -hmm. And that's for real. That's real talk. We also have a tendency to focus um, on showcasing people who, quote unquote, look sick. Um, For a lot of people, uh, cancer is not losing their hair. For a lot of people, cancer is going through a lot of extreme surgeries in which they don't lose their hair or foregoing chemotherapy because it's not going to work for them. So because of that, they don't look sick and nobody's going to put you on TV because then people can't feel pity for you because you look like there's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost like my, my hair thinned out. I lost my eyebrows, but I never went fully bald. And it's because after like my first two rounds of chemo, the doctors were like, yeah, this is just going to make you sicker. And it's not going to actually help you, so why fucking bother? We can get the same results with radiation and surgery. We're going to do that. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I would go to the hospital, and people would constantly, like, judge me for using, like, the patient elevators or, you know, for for being in in the cafeteria in the cancer ward. They would just be like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I have pancreatic cancer. And they're like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. But it's like I shouldn't have to continually – tell you like hey i'm fucking dying asshole because we just assume that unless you look a certain way you must be fine and that's not true Mm -hmm. um and that you know that's really bothersome so in that regard something i actually really like about this movie is that we do see hazel with you know she she has short hair because we see her like in flashbacks and that she's lost her hair before Mm -hmm. um but she has a full head of hair as does gus and that for whatever reason, that's something that is really important to me because I like that we're seeing illness in a way that isn't, you know, what we're used to. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I think that is more refreshing than someone having to wear a ski cap because their head's cold and they're wildly emaciated and pale because, like, that is a thing, but that's not the only thing. Yeah. No, that's one of the things I think I like a lot about this movie, although I do think obviously there's there's so many problems with it, but there are so many things that it does good. I like that it's showcasing their relationship in a way that isn't just, hey, feel sorry for them, feel sorry for them, feel sorry for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, this circumstance sucks, but like, you know, they're making it work and they're together. Well, they're very insistent on people not feeling sorry for them. Which I very much relate to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So as we've been jumping around like off topic and all over the place, um, I do. We're going to do that a lot this episode, I think. That's that's fine. Um, I do want to talk about um, when when the two of them declare their love. Harmony, where are they when they declare their love for one another? Amsterdam. They are in Amsterdam. But specifically, where are they? Um... The, the the home of the world's first believer. Oh my god, I hate you so much for saying that. <laughs> uh, I mean that that's the amount of tact we're kind of dealing with. Is yeah. that Anne Frank sure would have been a believer? Yeah. For those that don't know, um, 
because sometimes I like I, we make references and I'm like, I don't know if people understand like that we're not being assholes like that's real. When Justin Bieber visited the Anne Frank house, he wrote in the guest book that he thought Anne Frank would be a believer. And Which that's, I think he was like 12. No, he was not that young, but it was it was, still it was, young it was enough. early in his career, I think. And yeah. he was like a, a desensitized, bright eyed little moron. Yeah, but like, it's still really bad. It's still really fucking bad, dude. <laughs> it's not as bad as like the now Bieber being a shithead. Yeah, it's just it, yeah, not great. So Hazel and Gus share their first kiss in the attic of the Anne Frank house. First things first, you can't actually go in the attic in the Anne Frank house. So they had to like build a pretend attic for this scene because mm-hmm. that's just not a thing. And I understand what John Green was going for with this is that it's this idea of, you know, a young girl facing, you know, unspeakable tragedy, knowing that she's probably going to die and still, you know, living life to the fullest and persevering without it. I understand the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Can people please stop comparing tragedies or hardships to the Holocaust mm-hmm. because it's anti-Semitic and it's n- no, like I don't believe in tragedy sparring. The Holocaust is the worst. It's, like that, it that's wins w- that's every That's winning time. that fight. Yeah, yeah. like you can. I'm sorry, you can't. You cannot. Yes, we had to after the scene. We had to pause the movie and had to have a discussion because I was like, um, BJ, am I am I crazy? Am I off base for saying that? Um, having this romantic gesture and this this cancer triumph. Full of people surrounding them and applauding in the Anne Frank house is um is bad. This this is this wow. We put a tragedy on a tragedy. There, there's a hat on this hat, and it is not making a double hat. It is just eclipsing the first hat, and it's a problem. Yeah, it's okay. So here's 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 what we're gonna we're gonna do here. Cancer is awful. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's the fucking worst thing in the world. It. It will take anybody. Mm-hmm. It is non-discriminant in who it will impact. It, age doesn't matter. Gender, color, whatever. Like, yes, there are factors that obviously heighten and like some people are more genetically predisposed to get cancer than others. Yes, obviously. But like literally anybody has the capacity to get cancer at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. Mass genocide of people based on the fact they were Jewish or gay or disabled is not the fucking same. And trying to draw this metaphor is so wildly offensive that I want to flip an entire building. Please don't. We just got here and it's starting to look nice. <laughs> yes, I, I, I will not. But no, the, 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 if, if we're gonna, if we're gonna dress cancer up in a, in a nice little, a colorful outfit, like save the tatas or something to make it marketable and palatable to people, let's make this point. Like, hey, um, cancer is the indiscriminate Thanos murder of just like, yep, half the people are gonna die. That's just how it is. Yeah. Not all the Jewish people are going to die. Yes. So. Um, right around the time the movie came out, there was a BuzzFeed conversation asking, like, is this, is this problematic? And, uh, <laughs> these two, these two writers were talking and, um, I, I like this. So the author, Emily says, I totally agree that it's a tad extreme of a comparison and the Holocaust should never be spoken about lightly. I'm Jewish and I take offense to the comments about it that are made in poor taste. 
but I didn't quite view it the same way that you did. For me, Hazel and Anne are two young women that are dealt unfair cards, fates they don't deserve, fates no one deserves, and I think while Hazel doesn't wallow in self-pity, she looks at Anne's life in that moment, the stairs she lived above, the bookshelf she hid behind, and she found some sort, even the tiny sort of comfort in her own situation. As bad as things were for Hazel, she was in Amsterdam for the love of her life, and things could have definitely been a lot worse. And then the other writer, Ariane, says, I think saying that they were dealt unfair cards is a bizarre way of looking at it. That seems to be what John Green thinks as well, since he and the filmmakers had no comment when BuzzFeed reached out to them about it. An interviewer asked why Anne Frank was in the book, and John Green had said Anne Frank was a pretty good example of a young person who ended up having the kind of heroic art that Augustus wants. She was remembered, and she left the mark that he thinks is valuable but when he has to confront her death he has to confront the reality that she was really robbed of the opportunity to live or die for something she just died of illness like most people i'm sorry she just died of illness like most people that is a callous view of the past and it really hits home in what you see in both the novel and the film the particulars of anne frank's death are less important to the vague idea of her suffering and this is a disgrace to her memory you know this obsession you have with being remembered don't get mad. I am mad. I'm mad because I think you're special. And is that not enough? You think that the only way to lead a meaningful life is for everyone to remember you. For everyone to love you. Guess what, Gus? This is your life, okay? This is all you get. You get me and you get your family and you get this world and that's it. And if that's not enough for you, then I'm sorry, but it's not nothing. You know, I never really put the two and two together on uh, on Augustus wanting to be this, like, tragic hero figure, which really ties into the whole thing of, like, oh, yeah, he totally would have... Gus, don't be a hero, and then join the fucking military. Like, that ties yeah. into what he wants. He wants to die for something and be remembered for it. I mean... And I... Yes, no, that makes sense. And I think that also is really telling in, like, the hey, it's a metaphor thing of him constantly having a cigarette in his mouth without it being lit. It's like, oh, yeah, you take the thing that causes cancer, but you don't give it the power to kill you. Okay, yeah, I understand that in theory, but that is such a performative, like, I want attention act. Oh, that especially is, on an airplane? Yes, that is like, hey, I need like I need you to notice this so that I can tell you why I'm doing it. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, so. But that's also shitty teen behavior, so it's like, ugh. Agreed. So t- t- two things with that. One I I mean, I like that as a metaphor, and it's like, oh, smoking, you think smoking makes you look cool? I'm like, I mean, smoking does kind of look cool. <laughs> Stop. I know, it's bad, it's a problem, I, it sucks, but I'm just like, man, smoking looks fucking, it looks cool as you're just sitting there, and you're just with your thousand yard stare, taking a long drag of your cigarette, and be like, let me tell you some shit. Like, <laughs> I don't smoke, I think it's disgusting, but it's just like, man, I, I give me those candy cigarettes, because... Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no, there's, I'll take those. That's where I will get my <laughs> fix as far as wanting to look cool and also like a wiener at the same time. But two, I did not realize, because we do it all the time, uh, I did not realize the, it's a metaphor, Vine, was a reference to this movie. Yes. <laughs> ah! Yes. No, as soon as that happened, I was like, PJ, is that what that's about? Yes, that's what the fine is reference. It was like, and it's just like, no, that's backwards because the person put the fucking like the cigarette, put like the part you light in their mouth, yes. and the filter was on the other end. And it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> I didn't realize that was one of these. <laughs> so, so to continue on from this article, because I really like what this author Ariane has to say, um, uh, but she goes. 
they don't talk about Anne Frank's life in any detail, and they don't talk about any detail about her death. And I imagine this is because the metaphor would quickly fall apart if we actually confronted Green's assertion that Anne Frank just died of illness like most people. She did not die like most people. On August 4th, 1944, after two years in hiding in Amsterdam, Anne Frank, her parents, and her sister were arrested. She and her family were deported to the first Westerbrook transit camp. On September 3rd, they were moved to Auschwitz. They were confined for three days in a train car that had a bucket for human waste. Upon arrival, she, along with all of the prisoners on the train, were forced to strip naked. Because she had just turned 15, she made the Nazis' age cutoff and was not immediately sent to gas chambers. She was a slave in the camps until she got scabies, likely because of the filthy living conditions and overcrowding. She was moved to the quarantine area where the bodies of the dead were sometimes left for days at a time before they were dragged outside. Probably in October of 1944, she was mo moved to Bergen-Belsen, also severely overcrowded. Her clothes were infested with fleas and lice, and she eventually threw them away and wore a blanket instead in the winter. She died there in 1945, emaciated and freezing during a typhus outbreak. Her body was heaped on a pile of other bodies. When the camp was liberated by British soldiers, they found the ground blanketed with unburied corpses. She is not a metaphor for all people who die young. She is a real historic person who was murdered. And to say that she, like Hazel and Augustus, is a person who died young but still lived a meaningful life robs her memory of its true meaning, which is that this is a slaughter. It was a senseless tragedy and the result of deliberate evil. Lidwige says Anne Frank and the audience is just supposed to understand. And what we're supposed to understand is not a teenager's emaciated body lying on the freezing pile of corpses. We're supposed to understand, ah, yes, Anne Frank died young. Very sad. Cancer is heartbreaking, but it is not a genocide. It is not an organized mass murder. And to compare the two erases the intentional aspect of genocide. <sighs> and like, I have nothing more to add to that because yeah. that's perfect. Like yes. that's 100% what is happening and that's why knowing that that is the quote-unquote metaphor like at the heart of them falling in love is what makes me feel like you know what i can't buy into your relationship because if that's how you view the world i guess you deserve each other okay so can i have can i have a sidebar here let's 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 take let's take yes. cancer out of the equation yes, here take the sidebar yes let's take a sidebar you took the eighth grade trip to washington dc right of course. Okay, yeah. so like everyone's class does that, or at least most people's classes take that eighth grade trip to Washington, D.C. We went to like um, the Capitol building, like the Washington Monument. We went to all, you know, your typical places. Did you go to the Holocaust Museum? Yes. Were you just kind of let loose in the Holocaust Museum? Yes. Cool. So, so was I. And every memory I have of being there is very nondescript. And it was just kind of kids walking around and saying, like, this room smells funny. Oh, why? Oh, there's just a giant pit of shoes we're walking above and all of these things. And, like, unless you sit down and read the little placards and stuff like that or go into, like, the singular movie theater, there's no one explaining anything to you. They're not, they're not giving you context or gravity of this situation. And no. I don't know if they think like, oh, it's too fucked up to teach children about what actually happened, but we'll show them all of the stuff, just not the actual horrors. And I, 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 I don't know. I've had this conversation with other people many, many times, and I don't know if they can really grasp it. But when I was in school, 
not to like fucking center myself in this conversation about the Holocaust and the fucking about the everything of cancer. But when I was in school, we learned about World War II every year for like eight years. You, yeah, you've you've told me that before. Yeah, I'm like I'm not kidding when I say that there was a section on World War II every year for most of the time I was in school, and. At a certain point, I was just like, cool, I get it. Nazis are bad and like moved on. And apparently some people didn't realize Nazis are bad. And now yeah, we have- Some are, people are still Nazis. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of dealing with that now as a result. But I don't know if it's just that like I tuned out because it was just kind of like, yeah, I know you've been saying the exact same things over and over again. Or if they didn't go deep enough to really be like, oh, no, let's let's make an impact here. Or what the situation was at the time, because I'm going to be honest, I don't remember that much, because I also didn't pay that much attention in school. But I can't help but feel like I'm not the only one who did not fully have the context of what the Holocaust was instilled in them the way they should have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe one reason why Gus and Hazel are probably just like, oh, this is kind of nice and romantic. And I made it up all the stairs by myself. Yeah. Um, I think that it's really fucked up that there is more of an emotional weight to the fact that Hazel can get up the ladder with her oxygen tank mm-hmm. than there is actually discussing what's going on with Anne Frank. And I think you're that's, absolutely... But that's not what this story is about, though. <laughs> yeah, that fucking... It just kills me. Um, but I, I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of, like, public school because that is very real. I mean, we were watching earlier today where there's, like, some school in Utah that's letting kids opt out of learning about Black History Month. <sighs> and yeah. it's just this thing where, like, we're a country that, you know, the kids get off on Columbus Day. Do they, they teach, you know, 1492, Columbus sealed the ocean blue, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria. Do they talk about genocide? No, they don't talk about that. Well, that's the ugly part of history we don't want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we don't talk we about We want to talk about our heroes who we went in there and bailed out the French from those Nazi krauts, and we're heroes and not the oopsies where we ignored all of the stuff that was happening for the years beforehand because right. then we're admitting faults for... Not really helping to stop that genocide. The real fault in our stars is the American public school system. It's the stars and stripes. It's the the real fault <laughs> in our stars is the stars and stripes. Yes. Kill Holy your golden gods. <laughs> um, but no, that's I, I agree with you completely. And the thing the thing is like I don't think people recognize like how intently like anti-Semitism still runs through this country. It's fucking bananas to me how how prevalent it is Mm -hmm. and then you have something like john green where it's this movie that's already romanticizing tragedy and you know turning it into like you know proverbial misery porn but then it's also like it's taking away like the judaism of the fucking holocaust and turning it into a metaphor about like teen suffering Mm -hmm. and that's fucked up like that's a fucked up dude like it is own your messed up and move forward because he like he defends it with that metaphor bullshit. And it's just like, no. I agree. And I'm not going to defend John Green for this. But yeah, no, that's totally some fucking dumb shit where a teen's going to be like, yes, I understand this and how this relates to me. So like for the characters, this makes fucking sense. However, for an adult man who's generally very empathetic and mm-hmm. intelligent, and I like John Green for the most part, mm-hmm. 
he should know better. He yes. shouldn't have done this in the first place. You, there is a way you could have gotten from point A to point B. There, there were other routes on Google Maps you yes. could have taken, bud. Yes. You didn't and, have to drive through everyone's yards. And I agree with you that I understand why Hazel and Gus would see themselves in this situation because they, they're like, oh, yes, I am also a teen with no future who's probably going to die and I'm going to, you know, persevere dis- despite it. Okay, I relate to that. And in the same, in that same breath, that's why I understand why so many teens went fucking ape shit over this movie because they can relate like, well, I know what it's like to love somebody so much who then goes away and I have this awful breakup. I understand what that feels like because they're not looking at it under the guise of like, oh, this is cancer. They're looking at it under the guise of like, oh, this is hard. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes their emotions feel seen. Um, I don't know. It just, this movie frustrates the hell out of me because I understand it. I understand what they were going for. I understand what message is trying to be presented. I understand why people like it. But like, how fucking dare you Make me dislike a movie with Laura Dern in it. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, yeah. And like her character probably has a name, but she's just mom. And don't get me wrong. She is a she's very great. She's a very Ugh. honestly. Okay. She's good in this movie. Everyone's acting is good. Mm-hmm. No one is doing a bad job no, in this movie. Even, yeah. uh, the one the one friend. What is it? Isaac. Oh yeah, you don't like Netwolf. <laughs> I don't I don't like him. I think he feels out of place in all of his scenes. Like the egging his ex's car thing after he loses his eyes is a little weird. The, the one thing scene I scene where like... they break the trophies and they're trying to have this romantic conversation in the foreground while he's in the background just destroying everything because he got his heart broken. That's not funny or cute. I'm mostly uncomfortable. Yeah, I so I have mixed feelings about Isaac in in the in the sense that the trophy scene makes me uncomfortable because yeah, dude, I understand you're heartbroken and you're also about to lose your eyes and you're getting dumped because obviously this girl doesn't want to be with somebody who's blind and like that's fucked up. You have mm-hmm. every right to be angry. Mm-hmm. But anytime I just see like you know, young men just destroying things because they can't handle their emotions. I'm just like, oh. I mean, you ever you ever go on dates and you're at a guy's house and he's like, oh, here's that hole in the wall for when I got angry one time. Don't worry about it. It's like, yeah, yeah I've, I've been in that situation once or twice and uh, yeah. pretty swiftly wanted to remove myself from that situation. Yeah, that's never Isaac a good feels kind of like that, but he's giving off this like... Um, Post getting a high Brian in the Breakfast Club vibe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, where everything about him is he's trying to be smooth, but he's a fucking dork about it. Yeah. No, I uh, I I agree with you there. And the the egging scene, I actually I do like because I like the idea of you know he's now blind and he can still like feel some sort of like revenge or there's some cathartic release of being able to express physically like the pain you feel inside even though he can't see like he can still hit the car and like that's a accomplishment thing that scene is just like very oddly placed i think in the pacing in the of movie it, which is why it feels so weird yes um because like the rest of the thing is like oh hey uh gus's cancer's back uh the, the the scan showed that he lit up like a christmas tree and he's gonna die and he's gonna die before hazel which they didn't plan on 
Anyway, here's a cute egging scene. Yeah, it's very it's very weirdly placed. Um, my favorite part about that scene, though, is his ex-girlfriend's mom coming out. And then when, you know, Gus explains the situation, she just accepts it and goes inside. Because obviously, like... You can't fuck with cancer. You can't fuck with cancer. And obviously, like, she's a parent of a kid with cancer, so she gets it, too. Are you Monica's mother? I am. Hello, ma'am. Uh, your daughter, she's done a great injustice, so we've come here seeking revenge. You see, we, we may not look like much, but between the three of us, we have five legs, four eyes, and two and a half working pairs of lungs, but we also have two dozen eggs, so if, if I were you, I would go back inside. It is the one moment that reminds me the most of Spontaneous, where in Spontaneous and she's like totally being destructive and like just stealing shoplifting <laughs> while just hammered just, and no one's going to stop and her. Everyone's just like, you know what? We're we're not going to say shit because uh, we understand the situation, kid. Mm-hmm. Go go on with your bad self. I can't wait to talk about Spontaneous. Oh, God, I'm just going to have the whole so time. many better things to say. <laughs> well, and OK, so here's the thing. Spontaneous is the better version of The Fault in Our Stars. It's dealing with the same kind of fucking metaphors. It's dealing with a similar love story. It's dealing with the same sort of loss. Mm -hmm. It's dealing with the same sort of like difficulty of overcoming and mourning those losses and does all of it so much fucking better. Mm -hmm. Like infinitely not even close better. And they're not being anti-Semitic in the process, which is always a perk. Yeah, that's that's always... I, I will... No, I, I was about to say, I'll always praise something for not being anti-Semitic, but it's like, no, no, that's just the base level. You don't get applause. Yeah, you for, don't get a cookie for that. You don't get applause for not being negative. Yeah. Like, yeah. I could go up and be like, you know, I was going to call you an asshole, but now I'm not. And it's like, no, th- okay, cool. You're being an <laughs> asshole by pointing it out. Yeah. So I'm not um, going to do that. So I also want to point out to you because I know that you're like, I don't know if I li- how I like Isaac. So Nat Wolf, um, many of you may know, he is the uh, the brother of the actor who plays, you know, the, the brother in Hereditary. Um, and the two of them together made the Naked Brothers Band. <laughs> Which you, you said that. And I was like, wow, I was... I was too old for that shit. Like <laughs> you said that when we were kids and I was like, dude, I was too old for well, the Naked so the Brothers other, Band when it came out. The other thing too that I had that moment is I was like, oh, we were kids. And I was like, no, we weren't kids. My mom just ran a daycare. So Nickelodeon was on like 24 seven in my house. Yeah. So there are so many things and I'm like, so I, I like watched 15, this. 15. I'm yeah, not watching like, the Naked Brothers Band. I was a kid and it's like, no, I didn't. I watched this when I was like watching children. Um, but people loved him in this movie so much did they yes okay so when they did the next john green movie which is paper towns with uh cara delavine um no one was able to see my face but i am like what yeah i i've never even heard of this yeah so paper towns is the movie that kind of put cara delavine on the map like when they were like who should we cast for the male lead quentin uh there was an overwhelming suggestion that nat wolf got to do it and he did (laughs) I mean, is he good? He's pretty good. Okay, because like I don't think I have problems with him as an actor. I just don't like Isaac as a character. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. fine. Yeah, I mean, I get it. He's everyone's like shitty dude friend that you have. Yeah. So I mean, and he's going through some shit. Like I get that. Yes. Yeah, because he also because he had you know cancer in his eyes and he was like slowly losing his vision. It's definitely one of those experiences where you know that you're you're losing something and like you're very aware of it you're, uh, yeah you're very cognizant yeah like the and fact he's that just like all i want to do is play video games and cry or whatever yeah it's like oh i relate yeah um because it's definitely how i feel with the brain damage that i have is that it it sucks because it's 
sometimes it feels very similar to the way that I know people who have like early onset, like Alzheimer's start to feel Mm -hmm. when you're still cognizant enough to know when you're forgetting something. You're you're not as sharp as you used to be. Yeah. When it's, when you have that realization of like, you know, you're in another room and you're like, I have no idea how I got here or why. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. Like my brain does that. Or I know earlier this week when we were moving, I had a moment where I just kind of sat down and I was like, I know that I'm not all here right now. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do about it. Like that sucks. So I understand what Isaac is kind of dealing with in terms of like losing that vision obviously that's comparing apples to oranges he's losing you know his sense of sight mm-hmm. but to he be can't play halo then yeah but to like be aware of it like that shit is awful like yeah. that's almost that's almost worse like if you're in an accident and you wake up and it's like oh okay i guess this is my new normal now like that sucks and it's difficult but at least it's not this like dreading looming doom i mean it's like i don't know Grass is always greener. I'm sure there's people who yeah, are just be true. like, yeah, I was really not happy when my yeah, I lost I my eyes in that accident. Yeah, I wish I could have transitioned into this rather than just like abruptly. Yeah, yeah you're you're right. Grass is always greener. Um, but ultimately, I I want to I kind of want to talk about the the obsession that so many people had with this movie and the romantic the romanticization of it. Um, I mean. The fact that this movie's wrought with problems certainly uh, fits its theming with Willem Dafoe. Oh, God. Which we've not even really touched on him yet. No, because that storyline, like, I understand why it's, it's there. It's the name of the movie. I know, but I just... He's, he is the star who has the faults. Yeah, I just don't And care. Swedish hip-hop kind of bangs. Swedish hip-hop does kind of bang. <laughs> um, I don't know. That just, that aspect of the movie just feels so, like, it's so uninteresting to me. It's like, yeah, hey, don't meet your idols. They fucking suck. Yeah, he's an alcoholic and he's a grouch and he's yeah, which, a recluse. And I, I'm more, honestly, meeting him in Amsterdam, I'm like, okay, fine, that's... That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But then him just popping up randomly at the funeral. I'm like, is this real? Is this yeah. real life? Are you actually there? I'm like, this is dumb. Yeah. And I understand, too, that it's also this showcase of, like, he lost his daughter to cancer, and that's why he's such a grouch. He doesn't need a redemption arc. Yeah, no. I don't fucking care. Um, he's still pretentious. But the same way that Hazel sort of, like, idolizes this person there, when this movie came out, and yes, I know we talked about like Hot Topic had an entire line of like Fault in Our Stars merch. There was this really weird trend where people were like cosplaying as them and like building like fake oxygen tanks. Oh. Or kids were taking pictures where the volume like buttons on like Apple headsets, they were putting that bar under their nose and taking pictures to oh. look like Hazel. And that, to me, is where I kind of lose my sense of, like, I understand finding a message or some sort of meaning in this movie, but that shit fucking hurts. Yeah, this isn't like, this isn't like something like, oh, I really liked Mad Max Fury Road, I'm gonna cosplay Furios as, like, fucking cool robot hand thing yeah this isn't like that 
Like that's no. fantasy and that's like cool and fun or whatever. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of people missing hands who are super offended by that. But when you're just like, oh yeah, I want to look like an oxygen tank because Hazel has one. Uh-huh. That's a uh, that's quite a bit more egregious. Yeah. It I want to pretend that I can't breathe well. Right, and like Which, there's you wow, know, there's people who don't wear masks in COVID. Yeah, you, boy, do I have some Jesus good news ass. for you. Um, like I mean, because you know Hazel has that like freak out at Gus before he explains like, oh, it's a metaphor with the cigarette, where she was like, not being able to breathe fucking sucks. Like she doesn't say fucking, but you know whatever. This movie could have got one fuck, and maybe it did. I don't know. Did it? I don't, I don't remember. remember a fuck. I don't. Remember. It should have had a fuck. But when I saw stuff like that. Like, it threw me into such, like, a visceral rage. And it's very hard to not make, like, the joke of, like, this is a culture, not a costume kind Mm -hmm. of criticism. But that's kind of the closest comparison I can make. Mm -hmm. Of being being somebody who was was going to my, like, my cancer treatments, feeling like shit having like tubes hanging out of my body where people are like staring at me at the grocery store and making whispers. And there was this really traumatic experience after one of my surgeries where I had, um, I had a bunch of drainage tubes and the drainage tubes that I had used to like keep all of my stuff in what looked like a little like pancreatic fluid grenade is the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. That like hung- had to be clipped to all of my clothing it was just awful. And my parents were visiting because they wanted to be with me during the surgery. And I was at visiting them at their hotel. And my mom asked me to, like, go get ice or something. And I was in an elevator with a mom and her kids. And the kids were, like, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. Okay, so older than I thought they were. Yes, when they you say like, kids, I assume kids. Oh kids. yeah, no, they weren't like children. They were like they were like early teens. Okay, and they were having a like full ass conversation about me while I was in this elevator, just like, what's wrong with her? What is that? Ew. Like, and, like, one of the girls was like, oh, my God, I'm going to touch it. You should try and touch it. Oh, my God, touch it. What would happen? Would it explode? Oh, my God. Like, just being really wow insensitive and awful. And the mom is just sitting there just like, stop. Oh, my God, stop. Shh, stop. But not really doing anything. And I can hear all of this. And I'm just sitting there pretending like I can. And I'm just heartbroken. I get out of the elevator, immediately start crying because I feel like a fucking freak. And I, I just could not believe that happened. And... I think about that moment and then I think about kids that like put headphones under their nose to be like, look at my oxygen tank. Isn't that cute? And I'm like, you have no idea what it's like to like live like that, Mm -hmm. to have to be like covered in tubes and have everyone stare at you and make comments about you. Like it's, this is not some like cute trend. Like it's like you're, It's your your body trying to stay alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's just really hard because I want to be understanding and empathetic and know that like they don't know what they're doing. 
they don't understand the weight or the gravity of of acting like that or like how it would make someone feel to see that i know they don't understand so i want to like offer them that grace and and that space to like be wrong and and to fix it and and learn from it but like ultimately when i think about this movie i don't think about like that romance stuff or whatever i think about going to get cancer treatment and seeing somebody had written like the okay okay like clouds on the whiteboard and just being so angry (laughs) that when you talk about dying of cancer (laughs) or having to go through that the first thing that pops up in the minds of so many people is fucking hazel grace lancaster and augustus waters (laughs) and that's just so shitty to me And I'm not going to apologize for crying. I was really hoping to, like, get through the episode without doing it. But, Mm -hmm. like, that's that's just what it is. Like, I'm so torn with this fucking movie because it makes me so angry and so sad. And yet I, I, I get it and I understand it. I just really wish that people would stop romanticizing, like illness and tragedy like this like if you're gonna talk about these topics fucking be real about them you know like don't make cute metaphors about the holocaust like acknowledge how fucking horrible it is don't be cutesy about cancer acknowledge how fucking awful it is because it's fucking awful (sighs) well first of all I'm sad that I'm on the other couch and recording because I can't come over there and just be like... <laughs> if you fuck like, up this sound quality, I like, swear to God. I can't just come over there and rub your back and be like, it'll be okay, big cat. <laughs> like, I can't do that because we're, we're doing a show and I'll probably knock everything over in the process of getting there. Yeah, you're, there's so many limbs between you and I and so many wires. Please, yeah. Please don't. <laughs> so I'm just... I'm going to give you the love that I give all of our social distancing friends who give us housewarming gifts. Uh, shout out to all of them. love you very much if you're listening (laughs) but um the thing is i think this movie does try to emphasize how bad cancer is um especially at the sort of at the front with the cynicism and then definitely at the end because there's a point where they go to amsterdam and like boom clap is playing and i'm like god this song is that song slaps so hard. It does, and it is so out of place on the soundtrack <laughs> of mostly like soft coffee shop yeah. indie jams, and it's just like no boom clap, yeah, not subtle. <laughs> it demands to be heard. <laughs> so they go there, and as soon as that happens, I'm having this moment where I'm like, wow, when did these characters, especially Gus, stop ha- having personality? Now they're just kind of going through circumstances and not really doing anything and then it's like oh surprise my cancer's back and i was like oh that's why he's not in a good mood and is acting weird i just assumed that the character development was taking a back seat <laughs> but i think the movie does try to show how bad it is at the end there but 
that's not what the film is focusing on. No. It's it's will always be secondary because this is a love story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean again, that's why this movie is so complicated for me because on one hand, I'm almost glad that it does that because it's it this movie never feels like exploitation to me. Oh, it's not which it's not so quite many. that savage about yeah, it. Yeah, which like a lot of cancer movies I think like really border on exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time like I I don't know, like it fe- the pacing and the tone of this movie just feels all over the place. Like similarly to, you know, how that egg throwing scene feels very out of place, like when they finally do kind of take cancer seriously, um, it feels very out of place to the point where I don't think it registered with me. Like, oh, yeah, no, he's, like, fucking dying. And, like, mm-hmm. this is really bad. Um, I, it just it just didn't – it doesn't hit the way that I think that it should because there's not really any build to it. It just well, kind of, like, appears, and then he's in a hospital, and we don't really see him anymore. And it's like, uh, I think okay. that a lot of that comes because – Hazel's not allowed to see him because the whole yeah, thing is true. done through her perspective. Yeah, that's true. So uh, that might be it. I I don't know. But I mean, I guess the it comes out of nowhere. It's kind of like, well, I mean, it was always there. It's yeah. just, it's a, it's a surprise. Yeah, the, it goes The gator her. has popped from the river and is going after the gazelle after lurking. Yeah, it goes with her her grenade metaphor of like, I'm a grenade and one day I'm going to explode and destroy everything in Which, my way. Which, boy, also didn't know that was from this. Yeah. <laughs> and then grenades started to, it, it, it also, also took double Jersey meaning Shore. because of Jersey Shore. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. wow. And then Bruno Mars, just fucking so much grenade. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, again, like, I get it. I understand why the choices are made. They make sense to me logically. I, I just think, I don't know, maybe it's just something that I'm always going to be too close to. And for that reason, it's not going to be something that I'm ever going to fully be okay with. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just. I mean, I get it. Yeah. I do. I, it's not one-to-one, obviously, as far as how this sort of thing goes. But how how many trans stories are about just suffering and dying? Yeah. Like, that's that's what... I get it. Yeah. So it's... I, I'm at least in the ballpark of understanding what this likes from is like from your perspective. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where, like, I'm glad that this movie exists because it shows that you can have a life and you can have a relationship when you're dying outside of just like being miserable like that's a good thing mm-hmm. but there's just so many things wrong with this movie that it makes it hard for me to fully like believe in it and and endorse it but dare, I, dare i say there are faults there are faults yeah yeah there, <laughs> there, there are faults <laughs> in are. in these stars and then it's like Speaking of stars, the fucking waiter at that restaurant with his champagne spiel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, he is... I, I was like, man, I hope that guy gets good tips because he's earned them. And then I was like, wait, nope, they're not in America. They don't tip there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. Bottled the stars. <laughs> Those stars. Those stars are perfect. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I also love that. Like when you're teen, like when you're a teenager and you get to go to Europe, where the legal drinking age is so much lower, and it's like nobody questions it when you're like, "I want champagne," and they're like, "All right, fuck yeah, it." Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, 
poor Hazel Grace having her first glass of champagne and being like, oh, God, <laughs> immediately, <laughs> which I think is very cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, um, I think that's kind of all I emotionally have the uh, bandwidth for in, in discussing The Fault in Our Stars. Is there anything else that you think you'd like to add? Um, I mean, I guess we should probably discuss the, the ideas of like death of the author sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. That, that probably should be discussed because yeah, it's kind I of agree. the centerpiece of the book outside yeah. of cancer. Yeah, no, we can. Yeah, I, I can. I can muster through with that. So something that the fault in our stars also does that I think is very relevant for a lot of a lot of people right now is this idea of like death of the author. Mm -hmm. So John Green is very much a proponent that once a book is written, it no longer belongs to the author. It belongs Mm -hmm. to those that read it. And he's said that about, you know, even his, his own books. So when things are criticized and people try to say like, well, I don't like this. He very much is like it, you know, this is, this is what you make of it. Like if you, if you hate it, then that's cool that you hate it. If you love it, then that's cool that you love it. But we see that with Willem Dafoe and his character of Peter Van Houten and how he's written this book that means so much to Hazel and then in turn means so much to Gus and then they meet him and he fucking sucks. Oh boy, does he ever. Yeah, just a real crotchety piece of shit. Um, But this introduces this idea of, you know, art belongs to you and, you know, who fucking cares if that guy sucks? If this work means something to you, it's about the work, not about the person who made the work. Yeah. I, um, I've had to have this discussion a lot with people about Harry Potter, especially this past year. Oh yeah. Cause JK Rowling can't shut the fuck up for three seconds. Oh yeah. No, she's unbearable. But the bar I used to work at, uh, the side quest had a lot of Harry Potter events because they were consistently popular. So we mm-hmm. would have maybe like three or four large Harry Potter events every year. And so now we have, you know, me, the head bartender of this bar, working at a place that has a reputation for Harry Potter events. So then everybody needs to basically be like, is it okay if I still like Harry Potter? Is is, is this okay? Like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you can like whatever you fucking want. Like, burning your Harry Potter books is not going to take money out of J.K. Rowling's wallet. Right. So I would say uh, just, yeah, yeah, fuck her. Don't do not do anything else. But, like, that's just my opinion. Don't, don't take me at gospel for this sort of thing. Like, there's more to it than just one person's opinion. I, I agree with you to some extent. I definitely try to be one of those people that does, like, the separation of art and artist. But I think that there's limitations with that, like, because sometimes the art is so much a part of that artist, like, like the the, the quickest, easiest example of that are like Victor Salva and the Jeepers Creepers movies. Mm-hmm. I will not watch them. I will not pay for them. I will not ever like write about them uh, unless I'm criticizing Victor Salva as a person because yeah. Victor Salva is a terrible, horrible, goddamn, awful monster of a human being. And that is directly inspiring in his work. Mm -hmm. Um, For those that don't know, um, Victor Salva, who made the Jeepers Creepers movies, also made Powder for Disney, and then he also made a movie called Clown House. 
in which he sexually assaulted the, at the time, 12-year-old actor and video recorded it. So now when you watch the Jeepers Creepers movies... And And went to jail for it. Yes, he did go to jail for it, but did not serve a lot of time because he had a lot of power and a lot Mm -hmm. of powerful friends in Hollywood. So to say like, oh, he served his time is absolute bullshit. But he is a convicted pedophile. He is a convicted pedophile who then makes movies like Jeepers Creepers where the creeper specifically targets young boys so there is no separation between the art and the artist like he's literally like profiting off of his pedophilia and that's fucked up to me mm-hmm. anyway long tangent aside um so yes the these the side story outside of you know this this love lost tragedy whatever is this idea of death of the author and i am glad that this is a concept that's introduced in a teen movie because i think as the world becomes more socially and politically conscious, um, these questions are going to come up a lot more often. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I know, like, like Lovecraft Country is really big, and it's like, well, how do we deal with the fact that H.P. Lovecraft, you know, had a cat that was named the N-word? Like, yeah. can we still enjoy Cthulhu when this is a situation? And, like, obviously, not up to me to make that decision no. at all. Um, but then you see something like Lovecraft Country that is sort of navigating those waters and dealing mm-hmm. with it. And, you know, but then you you look at something like Harry Potter where it's like, you know, can I still like these? Can I still enjoy them? And as somebody who did really, really like Harry Potter, like they are kind of poisoned for me now. Like I, I just can't because I think about the mindset that that person was in and like this is how you view people and view characters. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism over those books for other things like Speaking of anti-Semitism, the fact that the bankers are hook-nosed goblins, like, Jesus fucking Christ, J.K. Rowling. (sighs) God damn it, Joanne. Um, Yeah. So when you have stuff like that, it's like, yeah, no, I don't don't need these anymore. Like, they were really cool for me at the time when I was an adolescent. I've grown past them. And we can grow past anything that we liked. (laughs) Yeah, we had a a long conversation about this with uh, Mr. Wes Allen over at Why Do We Ever Meet podcast before we moved. And, um... It was basically discussing at what point do you stop supporting an artist? Because like, hey, um, all your faves are problematic. All your favorite bands do coke. Like just, you know, everyone's a piece of shit if you dig deep enough. And Not a whatever. piece of shit if you do coke. Side well, note, but I know. But yes, I understand. Th- th- it's a metaphor. <laughs> I fucking hate you. Thanks. <laughs> so. <laughs> God, there's always a Hamarsha, isn't there? That's a metaphor for I fucking hate you. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. But like you get what I, I mean when I say that. So basically what we ended up talking about for a really long time is like, hey, here's a bunch of people that we like or have liked in the past, and here's why they're a piece of shit. Where do we draw the line on whether we support them as a piece of shit? And Mm. like certain ones that I came up with is like, oh, yeah, through high school and like junior high and stuff, I listened to a lot of like Amanda Palmer and the Dresden Dolls or Emily Autumn or Mindless Self-Indulgence. And it's like, wow, there are many complicated things going on with this mm-hmm. not so much the music usually uh, i mean mindless self-indulgence that's that that is a grenade in of itself yeah but uh that grenade hits everybody uh but more so like the people that produce the music like one of my my most disdainful person that i hate more than anyone on the planet morrissey morrissey <laughs> like aside from people who actually have influence and power like mitch mcconnell where it's like oh no like as far as like surface level you're just a general piece of shit and not one who actually has authority over stuff yeah like morrissey's the fucking worst and i hate him but everyone's like put the smiths got me through my teen years cuz uh, because like you know the, i was sad <laughs> 
And it's like, but you the, you can enjoy the Smiths without liking Morrissey. I'm like, no, but those lyrics are Morrissey. They're just as pretentious, and I'm better than you, and fucking awful. They don't have, like, his blatant racism as an example in them, but, like, that's where I draw my line. But it's like, who am I to fucking judge? I listen to a bunch of people who are problems. Yeah. No, so I'm, it's like, where do you draw that line? It's like, you you, you make your own yeah, line you know, in the sand on it. Your line is going to be, is it's going to be personal and different for everybody. Like my favorite band all throughout adolescence and like a band that legitimately quote unquote saved my life. Like I am the meme of your music saved me mm-hmm. for brand new. And Jesse Lacey used the power that he gained as like this rock star to take advantage of like 14 year old emo girls. Like he's a fucking creep. So yeah, I, I can't listen to that music anymore because I think about like being 14, 15 years old and listening to that album. And it's like, Oh no, I absolutely would have sent him nudes if he asked. And that's gross. But like, that's, that's what it is. Well, that's just really rampant in the pop punk and emo community in general. That's a whole different other conversation. Yeah, very much so. Like one of my favorite bands when I was in, um, high school that one of the ones I actually do still listen to because I don't listen to Amanda Palmer much these days as an example is uh Guns N' Roses and it's like oh yeah Axl Rose he's a huge piece of shit but I think he's mellowed out in his old age a lot <laughs> yeah at least comparatively but it's like oh yeah Axl Rose used to say like the n-word but he's like but it's okay Slash is black and it's like oh yeah I used to I used to say faggot all the time and but it's okay like my favorite singers are Elton John and Freddie Mercury it's like that's not how that works it's not really how that works but Axl also was like molested as a kid and did a lot of drugs so it's like so there's reasons why you're like really fucked up on your opinions Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make it okay that said I'll still jam to Paradise City it's still one of my favorite songs so uh, draw your lines where you do as far as what authors you should kill to me it's also this idea of like well we're sitting here doing a bunch of mental gymnastics of like well these are the things that we need to take into consideration it's like yeah this person's shitty and said shitty things but they're this circumstance and this circumstance and this circumstance led to that we do not know what mental gymnastics other people have done to get to that point exactly so it's like you can't really judge someone fairly when everybody sort of does this yeah no and and i think that that's that is something that I feel is my greatest takeaway from the fault in our stars in in general. And the thing that I struggle with is I do not know what mental gymnastics people have done to justify in what it is that speaks to them about this movie, Mm -hmm. what it is that resonates with them. I don't know what struggles that they've gone through in their lives where this story means something to them Mm -hmm. and why this love story and this romance means something to them. Mm -hmm. And I have to deal with that on my own of like, full disclosure, the ex of one of my friends, this is their favorite movie of all time. And he is like a man in his 40s. Like, he's a full ass adult. Okay. But this is one of his favorite movies. And it always just like, I couldn't fucking understand it. And there was one day where he was really explaining it to me. And it was, you know, something about like more, like dealing with mortality and, you know, finding things in hopeless circumstances and like some of the, you know, turmoils that he's gone through in his life and whatever, whatever. And like, I was listening to him and I was like, okay, no, I get this. Like, I don't agree with it. That's definitely not my journey and not like how I feel about it, but I get it. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind myself that there are people who are going to love this movie and find it so romantic and really appreciate this relationship and i don't know how they got there 
and it's not my place to judge them for how they got there. No, kids instead, taking <laughs> kids taking pictures with fucking headphones under their nose. You fucking suck. Yeah, and we, I will we, tell you that to your face. We can judge them. Also, the people who are just like, "Hey, uh, peace sign, gonna Instagram live my trip to Auschwitz." Ha ha. What up? Yeah, fuck those people too. Yeah. So read a book. Yeah, it's it, there, there's a lot of tone deafness to that. Yeah. But hey, guess what? We have a rating system for our podcast where we get to judge the films based on our opinions. <laughs> so that being said, Harmony, mm-hmm. The Fault in Our Stars is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And what are you writing back on the note? If you say okay, I will fly across this room. And I don't know what I'll do when I get there. I'm just... I I wasn't actually even thinking about doing that, but now that you said it, I'm like, fuck, I should have been that smart. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is this is going to be a no. I... Is it a no because you genuinely feel that way or because it made me cry? <laughs> One, it made you cry, but I <laughs> was pretty well prepared for it to be a no before we even sat down to record mm-hmm. because I don't see a circumstance where I need to revisit this movie ever mm-hmm. for any reason. Mm-hmm. Um, on a technical level, there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's shot perfectly fine. The acting is very good. Like that's great. But the content of the story doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's this language about teen novels that I, I don't understand that language. Okay. Whether it's something like, um, Perks of Being a Wallflower or Twilight or Fault in Our Stars or whatever book that happened to win the biggest selling teen book of the year sweepstakes that happens constantly <laughs> and then usually gets the movie treatment. I've, I just don't understand this language of teen because I can never relate to these stories. I can never relate to these characters. And... I think you need to be able to do that to some extent in order to truly understand the perspective of like this kind of youthful ignorance. Like I get, I can understand that for a lot of music where it's like, Oh yeah. Um, the arrogant sons of bitches wrote a sloppy, but super duper tight ska album. That's still my favorite one. And it came out like 15, 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I a lot of my favorite albums by bands are this one that they wrote when they were like 18 years old mm-hmm. and like that's the youthful language that I can understand that 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 speaking my language but like young adult fiction just doesn't click for me in that way and that's fine it doesn't it doesn't have to exactly and so I it, it's there's no there's nothing here for me like I can get what I would get out of this movie in other films like spontaneous no, I, I agree with you completely. <sighs> so how are you feeling? Are you also going to say no, I'm assuming? Well, I don't ever get a choice, but is a But no. you're, you are very invested in this movie on a deep emotional level. I am very grateful that now I have, like, there is literally no reason for me to ever watch this movie ever again. Mm-hmm. I have seen it three times. That's three times too many, okay. in, in my opinion. That's fine. And it's just very telling to me that this is the one that got the first John Green and not like, 
looking for Alaska or an abundance of Catherines or books that I think. Are, those, are these real things? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Um, looking for Alaska eventually got something, as did Paper Towns, but like an abundance of Catherines, I think, is his most underrated. Um, but no, there's like plenty of things that he's written that I think are infinitely more interesting and have better stories to tell for young adult audiences. And it just, it's very telling to me that they're like, nope, we're going to do the cancer one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I will never fully understand our culture's obsession with with misery porn, tragedy porn, whatever you want to call it. Oh, I'll we never... Li- we like to feel alive. I think it's also like schadenfreude. Like, we like to see that, like, huh, could be worse. Is that kind of like the informative murder porn of investigation discovery? Yes, 100%. But, but with romance? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I can yeah, see that. That's, uh, that's how I think it is. The drama is so much more exciting. It's very uh, Shakespearean. <laughs> you know, all romance ends in tragedy or whatever. Yeah. No, I think I think we all read Romeo and Juliet when we were freshmen, and it fucked up our tastes forever. <laughs> I think my tastes are well, you quite also... uninfluenced because I didn't pay attention. I was like, you didn't read shit. <laughs> nope. All right, friends. I think that takes us out on The Fault in Our Stars, and I'm probably going to take a nap later and cry a little bit more. I'll, we'll I'll, see about I'll, it. I'll, I'll rub your feet or something. Oh, I would much appreciate that. I will that. make you feel so much better. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Greatly appreciate it. I'm sorry that this was such a labor-intensive episode for you. It's fine. I didn't think it was going to hit me that hard. And then, oh, it, it, then it just happened. And that's, yeah. That's fine. That's It is what it is. But uh, if you'd like to um, support the show, as we said at the top of the show, we have Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's my name at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where are you at on the internet? I'm on the internet. On Instagram and Twitter, at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tor. We also want to give a huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. They have a new album out called Clothbound. You should check it the fuck out. It love. We listened to that uh, in separate cars on the last leg of moving, where it was like the last hour and a half we had to drive. And our good friend Ben over at the podcast uh, Biff Radio, it's a music podcast, definitely uh, caught us both listening to it and was like, this is funny, and sent us a, a little screenshot. Is cute. Like, as an aside, can I just say like, hey, shout out to like Biff Radio and Why Did We Ever Meet and Kicking and Screaming and all of our podcasts. And Why Are Dads and the Coming Out Pod and yes. everything that kind of kept us sane on our drive. Well, specifically, I wanted to... Oh, and Why Are... Or, uh, what a Creep. That one was also good for me. Yeah. I wanted to mention those three because it's like, oh, we get name dropped in other people's podcasts all the time and they say such nice things about us and then i'm like i'm sorry that there wasn't a circumstance for like us to name drop you but like hey we love you all very much and you are so kind (laughs) yeah go go listen to them like they're yeah just we have some friends with some really really good podcasts yeah as just like a a a quick little mention so like why did we ever meet it's a family podcast it's stars our family being uh, fucking crazy weirdos boy they're crazy <laughs> uh biff radio uh ben center's music podcast is great kicking and screaming um that uh our guest from sydney white um vanessa guerrero and her husband elijah doing uh kung fu and horror movie double features they're it's... not kung fu they're martial arts Those okay are not you. synonymous yes, you're, right. you're right you're right okay oh it's God. brought up on the show frequently yes it's martial <laughs> arts <laughs> And horror movie double features. I've been on that one. Yes, you have. Harmony yeah. has been on that one. It's very fun. Uh, Why are dads doing um, a, a smarter version of what we do? Analyzing uh, fatherhood and, and dadding in, in cinema. Um, check that one out. And then uh, Coming Out Pod with Lauren and Nicole. It's a movie, uh, podcast all about 
coming out stories and what a creep a podcast dedicated to telling the history of infamous creeps like chevy chase and pierce morgan and betsy divas and just shitty ass people it's great it'll make you feel good um yeah talking about schadenfreude yeah for real <laughs> yeah so you know there's a, there's some other fun shows that we've been listening to lately oh and also Tyrion. can't forget Tyrion, sam wyman and jordan cruciola analyzing the horror movies of the 2000s i was on that one talking about repo the genetic opera so you know if you're if you're into the same kind of crazy bullshit nonsense that we are uh, those are some shows that you could probably try out no absolutely just when you're not listening to us preferably on loop <laughs> go listen to all of these lovely people who we all appreciate very much and on the net note friends that uh it's gonna take us out and i would say save the last dance for us but i took my shoes off already i'm gonna go lay down okay dance is over for me today okay bye friend i fucking hate you <laughs> Bob, I'm glad you learned your lesson. Hero worship is unhealthy. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.